This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning and welcome to Deep South Dining. And this is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. This is also the show about cooking and coping. Carol, how are you this morning? Malcolm, I'm great. Um, You down in your basement? I'm in the basement. How about you? I'm in the closet. All right. (laughs) And Java is back at the studio at command headquarters. Java Chapman, the one and only, our producer. So what did you do this weekend, Carol? Were you out in the country or were you in town? No, I've I've been out in the country for about eight weeks now. Okay. I've been been coping, coping quite well. Uh, I did some cooking. You know, some of it good, some of it bad. And I read a lot of community cookbooks. How about yeah, you? I'm, yeah, same here. I've really enjoyed digging through the stacks of community cookbooks that I own. I guess the truth is until you give it a, a name and you decide to do a radio show about it, you don't really think about how many of these things you own and how precious they are and kind of what they mean to you. Well, when I was looking through my collection, I actually found a few that you've given me over the years, and they weren't necessarily community cookbooks, but it made me happy to think that we've been trading recipes and valuing cooking and culture and, you know, putting a lot of value on the people who make the food. So that makes yeah, me absolutely. happy. Oh, I makes me happy. Making, making tomato sauce. <clears throat> tomato I gravy. Yeah, tomato gravy. I saw it on uh, the Cooking and Coping Facebook page. Yeah, we had a can of uh, chopped tomatoes, and uh, Kara had opened it up and made a soup or something out of it, and there was some of it left. So uh, I don't have fresh tomatoes yet. I'm sure there are listeners who uh, already have producing tomato plants. Mine are still only about a foot tall. But since I don't have fresh tomatoes, and I haven't been to the farmer's market yet this year, uh, I just used a can of tomatoes, chopped up some pepper and onion in it, a little garlic, sautéed it down. I add a little chicken stock to mine uh, to sort of warm it up there at the end. But I love putting tomato gravy on rice, mashed potatoes, uh, over meat, uh, chicken, beef. Uh, it's just good on everything, and particularly cat head biscuits. Ooh, those sound good. Well, I have to say that your tomato gravy really caught my attention. And for those listeners who don't know about our Facebook page, it's called Cooking and Coping, Gathering Around the Virtual Table. And it's something that we started uh, during the quarantine and the and the pandemic just to see how different people, you know, are how they're cooking, how they're coping with life and you know, how cooking's kind of the glue that binds us together. But I had noticed there was a big tomato theme last week. Lots yeah, of I, tomato, tomato sandwiches, tomatoes on toast. Yeah, as I said, the, the early uh, gardeners are starting to uh, get fresh tomatoes, and the rest of us uh, are, are, are about ready to. And I can't wait till the farmer markets uh, get open and full-fledged, and, and you can go buy peppers and onions and squash and cucumbers and uh you know even down here at the fairgrounds they serve uh, i mean they sell fresh meats pork beef seafoods so milk i'm really looking forward uh, to that reopening it's amazing what you don't miss until it's gone and we've all experienced a, a lot of 
loss and miss things uh, during the, the uh, pandemic. But anyway, life will uh, seems life to be will returning. Catch up. And, and your tomato gravy actually inspired me. I mean, it did inspire me. It made me really, really, really hungry. <laughs> as well as a couple of other people who had tomato toast. So I had cooked a big spot pot of spaghetti sauce the night, the day before. It was one of those simmering, all day simmering type of things. Mm-hmm. So I went in the pot and got some tomato sauce and put it on my toast. It wasn't exactly sliced tomatoes or tomato gravy, but it was deep and delicious. Yeah, it looked beautiful. It was, had a nice uh, red uh, um, sort of tone to it, and it looked quite yummy. I also see from social media that you got a gigantic uh, corned beef in the mail. <laughs> well, it seems to be a theme during during the pandemic that I've gotten very large things. And John and I ordered a three-pound corned beef, and he wanted it this week. So we had it sent like second-day air and this huge box comes, and the weight on it is 27 pounds. Wow. And so we open it, and there is a giant slab, and it weighed over 15 pounds. And, yeah, I, I posted a picture of it on the Facebook page and got about 60 different ideas uh, about what to do with all that corned beef. But yours was definitely the best, and it's to share it with friends. Exactly. That's a no-brainer to me. When you when, well, it's, when, it's when so you get more food, <laughs> it's so weird that we're all separated. Yeah. True. True. I guess you could put it on someone's doorstep, honk the horn, send a text, and drive away. Speaking of yesterday, uh, Mother's Day. Did you have a chance to spend some time with Dero? I did. I actually came in from the country last night to sit on the front porch and rock with her a little bit and actually we reminisced about a lot of the community cookbooks we're going to talk about because she lost her whole collection and i lost part of mine in katrina so we Mm -hmm. had a lot of fun thinking about all of those you know all the books well yesterday yeah no doubt and hopefully you can get them again yesterday was a big day at our house, it was not only Mother's Day, but it was also my granddaughter Wren's fourth birthday. So we had a sort of uh, 21st century COVID-19 Christmas uh, Christmas birthday party where we put signs up in the yard and her friends drove by and dropped off gifts. And it uh, it was a fun time and she had a blast. She got a, a, a inflatable pool and she got her... Uh, her, her jumping uh, air uh, inflated jumping castle out. So anyway, it was a great, great time celebrating a four-year-old's birthday. We had a cake and all and of that. And who made the cake? <clears throat> you know, her mom made it. Uh, Zeta made it. It was really good. It was very small, very uh, compact. Had a lot of, of uh, sprinkles in it. A lot of sprinkles. Well, um, today we're going to talk about community cookbooks and yep. you know when I really started thinking about it community cookbooks in the south they, they are an art form really absolutely it, and a lot of them have art in them yeah I know um, 
the the Jackson one, come on in. Didn't it have beautiful art? Was it photography or paintings? I can't remember. No, I have a copy was, of that one here. It was, photo- it was photography. Um, uh-huh. And like the sharecropper cookbook from, I guess, somewhere around Belt. No, it's from Inverness. Had a, a, an artwork, an art piece by Ethel Wright Mohammed that was just oh, beautiful. Wow. But then I also noticed a Mississippi writer trend because it was a big deal to have a Mississippi writer write the introduction to your community cookbook. And the old Jackson cookbook, which was done by the Jackson Symphony League, has an essay by Eudora Welty. And yeah. Come on in. No, no. Southern Sideboards has a beautiful foreword by uh, Wyatt Cooper, who is Anderson Cooper's father. He was from, I, I can't can't remember exactly where he, he was from in Mississippi, but a great writer and artist. And um, I think you have one that Willie Morris wrote the forward to. Yeah, it was 1980. It's called A Cook's Tour of Mississippi. It was published by the Claren Ledger and Ray Hederman. And Susan Puckett uh, did a lot of the writing in that book. It's got a lot of historical photographs, great recipes. Uh, It's called A Cook's Tour of Mississippi. A lot of people on cooking and coping commented about it. It's very popular. And Willie Morris, uh, who had just returned from New York back to Mississippi, 1980, wrote the foreword to that one. Well, Susan Puckett has gone on from being a, you know, newbie reporter at the Clarion Ledger and doing that book to uh, being a great food writer and doing books of her own. And we need to have her on the show sometime soon. Yeah, we'll get Susan on. Uh, But meanwhile, it's time for our first break. When we come back, we will dive into some of our very favorite community cookbooks. First up, River Road uh, from our friends in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, The Red Stick. First published in 1959, and it is the nation's number one selling community cookbook right across the river from us here. So stay tuned as we dive into Creole cooking with River Road. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol. How are you this morning? I am great, and I'm ready to talk community cookbooks. All right. What's a little history on these? before we, We've got a few callers on the line. We want to get to them, but if you could give us a little uh, prelude well, to the community cookbook. You know, I really thought that they were a mid-century thing, but no, not at all. The very first community cookbook was actually produced during the Civil War. It was called A Poetical Cookbook. And it was done uh, by a group of women, of Pennsylvania women, who they all organized into, quote, sanitation commissions to raise money for hospitals, field hospitals during the war. And so that was 1864. And then post-war, 
1915, there were over 5,000 community cookbooks. They were, you know, mostly raising money for uh, church pews or uh, a playground or, you know, things in the community. And, yeah, they were very small in size and didn't have the elaborate covers because that would be expensive. And right. some of them were just tied together. But, you know, it was really going full blast even then. But the 50s brought on the era of what we think of today as community cookbooks because that's when the Junior League, a women's organization that was founded in the early 1900s, got into it. And it started with a book called Charleston Receipts in huh. Charleston, South Carolina. Wow, wow. And, and you know, the, the second, the one that, that's really the most known from that era, and I thought was the first, is River Road from Baton Rouge. And well, maybe it's the still, first one in the Deep South. I don't, no, Charleston, yeah. I guess. Well, Char- Charleston is, and they're both still in print. But River Road has sold 1.9 million cookbooks. It's a lot of books. And, yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of books, but th- that kind of gives us a little background for our conversation. Yeah, they, it's amazing because these community cookbooks are not about a singular voice, like the author of the cookbook, that person's expertise. This is about the entire community weighing in on their favorite recipes, telling their stories, uh, you know, handing down their traditions from their family, maybe their mother, their grandmother. And it's very female centric in its earliest goings. Because women, women, you know, usually only had their name in the public once or two times during their life when they're born, when they're died. And this was the only time in between that a woman's name ever appeared in print and you know that that's not not that long ago but it was a great voice for women and it was also a snapshot of the ingredients and the markets and the values of that time and i i remember church cookbooks uh growing up the church would always publish uh recipes from uh the ladies who were church members but anyway let's go to the phones we have a caller from arkansas ann uh is on the line and she uh has What's going on, Ann? Hey, good morning. How are y'all? It's Ann Ann Shackelford. (laughs) Yes, and I'm calling actually from my house and not in my car, which is where I usually listen to the radio. Well, well, it's so good to hear from you. Yeah. So great to hear hear your voices. And I'm here with my daughter, Bland, who is a great cook in her own right. And we're glad to have her here cooking with us. But my one of my favorites is bio cuisine from Indianola, and I'm looking at my copy right here that I inherited from my mother because she certainly would not have given it up in her lifetime. And here, here's sure. her name, <laughs> her signature in the front, and and it's so much fun because how would she know that I would wind up having the privilege of working at the BB King Museum and, and spending lots of time in Indianola years later? So this is a great cookbook, and it has pictures, photographs from Byrne and Frankie Keating. Wow. Oh, wow. Back to the art thing. And uh, and Ann and Bland, I want you to know that when we put out this call for favorite cookbooks, Bio Cuisine just came up again and again. And some of the recipes uh, people talked about were like baked fish with tomato sauce and oysters, Johnny Reb. 
and oh. Eleanor's salad dressing. So I'm kind of interested in looking at those. Yeah, it's so fun to see my mother's notes in here in her own hand. You know, it's a great, great thing for the day after Mother's Day. Indeed. So these books are not just uh, recipes. They are also historical documents. They're treasures. They're family heirlooms. Mine are all full of pieces of paper and scraps and notes and little ideas that I've written down and recipes that someone has given me. And on my River Road, Carol, uh, it was given to me uh, by my aunt, uh, Von Seal, who was a great cook. And it just says on the cover, Mal White. All about Creole cooking, Von Seal. And I've certainly treasured having her hand written into the front of this book. Well, do you have your copy there with you? I do. Turn to page 63. You know, Spinach Madeline is. Oh, man. Yeah, that's one of the real standouts. This started the Spinach Madeline. Yeah, yeah, and that's quite a popular dish now all over. Yeah, and I was wondering because I had to buy mine since I lost my original in Katrina. And I'm wondering if they change, you know, the old craft six-ounce rolls of, well, it was really cheese product, but the craft jalapeno cheese was really critical to this, and it's no longer available. I'm wondering what yours says. It says six ounces of roll jalapeno cheese. Okay. So it's in this one. Yeah, it, it's still in this one, too, but they put out something on their website just for all the spin, Spinach Madeline fans out there. It's a Velveeta product that's a right. Mexican, it's a Mexican cheese you can substitute. So maybe that's a hot tip for everybody. Yeah, and uh, someone wrote in on Cooking and Coping that uh, that they loved using this book, but they were very sad that the cheese rolls were no longer available. Yeah, it's a bad thing. As Lee Bailey. All right, so Andy's on the phone. Andy Frame, Carol, a friend of yours and a friend of ours and who participates in cooking and coping. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Well, we're doing great, but uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show because you really started this thing on hmm. cooking and coping. I think one Saturday morning uh, you said you were drinking coffee and flipping through southern sideboards looking for weird recipes or weird ingredients or the best recipes and with within minutes you had 80 comments so talk to us about that well my buddy patrick puckett who's actually in the group now had posted a a uh, picture of his chicken spaghetti and i'm not from mississippi but i kind of moved around a lot and uh i'm not you know i didn't grow up eating chicken spaghetti but then when i moved here about 10 years ago i noticed pretty quick that everybody loves chicken spaghetti around here and um <laughs> and so i kind of dubbed it as one of the most mississippi dishes we have is chicken spaghetti and and uh i picked up the southern sideboards which is my my wife's copy and she was given this well she's a good but, southern girl i'm sure she is her mom gala was in the uh junior league here and she gave her um her copy it's a, it's dated september 14 2001 and there's lots of notes in here saying what's good and and what's great and uh but sure enough i i proved my theory right here that chicken spaghetti is mississippi dishes uh because there's two two different recipes of it in here there's one chicken tetrazzini 
and one, my mother's chicken spaghetti. So I started looking through here, and, yeah, I mean, there's just so many good staples. Um, I also noticed, and what kind of probably led me to, to post this in the group, was just how many recipes have gelatin in them. And so I started, <laughs> I mean, I was saying, I was joking on there that I think this, this book was sponsored by the gelatin lobby. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, there's just so many. I mean, there's a, in the salads, there's curried shrimp rice salad, Caribbean crab salad, congealed asparagus salad, molded beet salad, spinach mold, cucumber aspic, tomato aspic, um, so much gelatin. So last time I was at the store, I picked up a, a pack of 24 gelatin things. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to figure something out. <laughs> Well, you can cook. Uh, Southern Sideboards was actually published in 1978, so that tells us that gelatin was a, a gelatin in congealing must have been really big. So, any cookbook you you can go through all 24 packets just cooking through those those <laughs> cookbooks. And um, I, w- I wanted to to just mention, uh, aren't you the revitalized Mississippi guy? Yes, I am. I, I work for Revitalized Mississippi. Yes, and, and, we, and just tell us a little bit about that, so we know who you, who you are and what you're doing here. All right. Um, well, this is a an organization that was founded by Jim Johnston. He's a retired doctor in town, and he, um, you know, he he basically noticed as he retired that you know just how much abandoned and vacant property was around the city, and he kind of just it became his passion. And he wanted to help clean it up. And I'm an attorney, and I was working at a local law firm, and I, I got his file as a pro bono file and started working with them. And within a couple of years, we had started to go We've just been trying to work with the city and the state to come up with kind of public-private solutions for ways to clean up abandoned and vacant properties. Um, in the last three years, we've cleaned up about 620 properties that have all ended up uh, becoming owned by neighbors and neighborhood stakeholders and we're really we're really uh, excited about the progress but you know, we're kind of stalled here by the the uh, pandemic a little bit but we're still working um, with neighborhoods and with people to, to keep moving things forward um, and so yeah glad to glad to share that yeah we're, we're glad you're here we're glad you're in jackson and we're glad that uh you, you were doing some work that's so vital to our community and we're glad you're cooking you're one of the most popular posters on cooking and coping so we uh we hope you keep cooking and those crawfish strudels looked amazing well they mm. didn't taste very good the i hadn't <laughs> i had never uh i had never cooked with phyllo dough before and i had no idea how to do that but the the crawfish bread which i used those pillsbury you know french uh, french bread dough cans those turned out great so i kind of saved it with that but yeah well i, I know you were missing jazz fest and that was your theme but um andy thank you so much for participating in cooking and coping and thank you for calling in this morning glad to thank you all very much Thanks a lot, man. You know, talking about chicken spaghetti, my one of my favorite chicken spaghetti recipes is Craig Claiborne's in his Mississippi cookbook. Uh, that's a, a, a and, and another. Every time I think about chicken spaghetti, I think about chicken pot pie. 
so I love what Miss Eudora Welty said about chicken pot pie. She said chicken pot pie is a Methodist dish. So I, we're, we're tying back to the community and the church here, talking about chicken pot pie being a Methodist dish. Who do we have on the line? We got Sue from Beaumont, Mississippi. Hey, Sue. Hi, good morning, y'all. I wanted to, could I go back and ask uh, Carol a question about that corned beef right quick? Sure. Yes. Carol, uh, first of all, where do you get it? Is it cooked when you get it, and is it sliced already? No, it is not cooked. It is not sliced. It came in a big vacuum bag with the pickling and corning uh, material, but uh, I am going to, you know, do something with it from that. No, you, you there's several several places uh, that you can order it if they're, you know, if it's not in your local store. Uh, Zingerman's, that's with the Z, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, is a great source. There's another company called Porter and York. That's where we got ours. And then uh, the famous Zabars in in New York. So we've had to mail order ours, especially during the recent unpleasantness. But um, I'm gonna be cooking. I'm going to be cooking and coping with a lot. There, there's no place you can order one that's already cooked. Then I don't suppose. Huh? I not that I know of. Malcolm, do you know? I'm sure there is. Um... I would have to research it. I mean, it would be like one of the large food, food companies like Cisco or, or one of the specialty shops in town that might carry cooked roast beef. Uh, but I'll, check, I'll poke around and check on that and try to get back to you soon. The reason I ask is well, I, I put it in a crock pot and let it simmer, but slicing up to get those slices to make Reuben sandwiches, I just never can get that right, you know. Yeah. yeah, well, you got to have yeah, one you, of those. You can buy whole. I mean, you can buy sliced corned beef at a grocery store. Right. Well, that process They'll slice corn. it for I, you. It's not the real thing to me. It's not. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, good well. to talk to you. Thanks, Sue. We appreciate you calling in. We appreciate all of you listening uh, to Deep South Dining. We're going to take a little break here, and we're going to continue talking about community cookbooks. We've talked a lot in this segment about the River Road recipes out of Baton Rouge, one of the all-time best-selling community cookbooks in the world. And in there, there's a great basic recipe about how to make a roux. This is a great beginning. All right, we'll be back, and in this segment, we'll talk about the congressional cookbook uh, and the famous, famous bean recipe for the bean soup, the navy bean soup. So please stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Good morning, Malcolm White with Carol Puckett here. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. We are so glad that you have thought to join us this morning, and we look forward to your calls, your emails. But before we do that, we've got uh, a, a listener on the line from up in the Mississippi Delta. Bill from Greenwood has joined us. Yeah, uh, i got a question to comment about Mr. Claiborne, but first, uh, uh, I tried that... Uh, that brisket, you know, you know, it said it was corned beef on the package, but it was said also it was brisket. And I tried several kinds in the grocery store, and man, it was tough. 
<laughs> you got to cut it thin. You got to cut it thin. And you've got to cook it low and slow. You got the tenderizer, right. you know, the Adolf tenderizer put on there. I don't know about, I don't know about the tenderizer, but it's a slow, slow cook and a very thin slice uh, that that makes the uh, the that meat perfectly delicious. I know in Texas people just love it in Texas, you know, brisket. Yeah, I love brisket myself, barbecued or corned beef or whatever style it is. I have had some really good, you know, (laughs) it'll be good, I'm sure. But a long time ago, I used to work in the grocery store, Sunflower in Indianola, and Mr. Claiborne's uh, son-in-law, or somewhat kin, I don't remember how, uh, and sometimes Mr. Claiborne would come in there and be visiting them, and I always enjoyed talking to him. I wonder if he had any any Claiborne stories that were kind of funny you could relate to because uh, I've been looking for a biography about him but I cannot seem to find uh, any books about him. Well, there's a good book about him. Um, Malcolm, you you have that book, don't you? I, I don't know that it's a biography, uh, you know, of his. There are a lot of books, of course, that he's written. I think what uh, Bill's talking about is if anyone has written a definitive biography of Craig Claiborne. Um there was a book a year or two ago called. Yeah, it, you're right. This was yeah, a I, I were, yeah. Uh, it was called how we how we eat or how we dine, uh, and the guy came to Lemuria. Uh, so I do have a copy of that, Carol. You're right. I just can't remember the title. We'll have it, to well, pick around. I, I, I've got it. It's the man who changed the way we eat. There you go. There's your and, biography, Bill. And I bet, Bill, that Turnrow Books and Greenwood could order a copy for you. Or probably have them in probably have them in stock. Well, Bill, we appreciate you calling. We always appreciate you listening. You always bring good things to the table. On the line, Carol, why don't you introduce the gentleman behind Vintage Vicksburg, Mr. Bob Yarbrough? Yeah, well, good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you all today? And how are things up in Charlottesville, Virginia? They are very typically Charlottesville. Lots going on, and it's cold. Yeah, we had a <laughs> oh really? Yeah, we had well, a frost uh, two nights, and it, it wasn't pleasant. Well, uh, Bob, we we were so happy that you called in. You are definitely one of the most popular posters on uh, cooking and coping, and uh, it really caught my attention. Not only has your food caught my attention, but when we were talking about community cookbooks, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you lived and worked or worked in Vicksburg at one time and appreciated vintage Vicksburg. And it is one of the real giants of the Southern cookbooks and um, was just hoping you could talk to us a little bit about you know, what community cookbooks mean in general to you and specifically Vintage Vicksburg. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I worked in Vicksburg in the mid eighties. My first real job out of college was working at the Vicksburg Post. And uh, at that time, back when they had food editors for small newspapers, uh, Lauren Stam was the editor there. And uh, she invited me and my best friend, David Ray over for dinner one night. And it was, a dinner like I'd never had. It was courses and soups and meats uh, all carefully planned out. 
and I was so impressed, I think, or, or, or so shocked her with my surprise at dinner. Uh, after we left, she handed me a copy of Vintage Vicksburg, and she told me, so one day I think you're going to need this, because I wasn't cooking at the time. But when I started cooking, Vintage Vicksburg is where I turned, and one of the very first meals I made for the woman who would turn out to be my wife was uh, savory crescent chicken squares. And, uh, yeah, you know, it is just a really basic, great recipe where you roll out some, uh, crescent dough and stuff it with chicken and cream cheese and onions. Uh, and, uh, I don't think she had ever had anything like that before. That so was a good, uh, <laughs> well, it obviously worked and I'm, I'm flipping through my copy <laughs> right now too, which I love. And I see all these beautiful photographs that Bob Pickett did, but yeah. it really does um, speak to the place of Vicksburg, too. You get a sense of everything yeah. from the river to the cotton fields surrounding it. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's what I love about the community cookbook, right? You go through, and uh, it is, you know, we talk a lot about sense of place in Southern fiction. But that sense of place that comes through in community cookbooks is just uh, uh, amazing to me. And uh, I always like the recipes that have someone's name in front of them. You know, they own it. Right. You know, like, uh, uh, there's one I cook from a, a cookbook called The Sharecropper. It's from Inverness. And uh, Nolene's Blackened Catfish. <laughs> she owns that catfish. And a lot of people make Blackened Catfish, but it's hers. So uh, those are the ones I gravitate well to that point uh up until about the 80s the recipes were all put in the formal names of the women who wrote them so when you go through it's yeah. you know mrs mrs robert robertson mrs jerry silver you know mrs um butch rayner i mean it's and you don't really know the name of the women oh. behind them because that was their their formal name yeah, it's amazing. Another one I like that uh, has a name to it is from uh, Just Come In, Miss uh, Minnie Miller's Mississippi Pecan Pie. <laughs> I oh, wow. That every year for gosh, maybe the last 15 or 16 years. At the time. It's just the touchstones uh, that those cookbooks provide the the care that they put in curating them and putting them together, but just that sense of place is amazing. It's like this one, uh, the sharecropper one from Inverness, it's got six or seven like catfish recipes. So you know what catfish means to the people who live. And these books are really community art projects. I mean, we, we talk about community art projects being, you know, uh, revitalizing a park or, or painting a mural or some sort of uh, thing, uh, you know, something at the school. But these cookbooks really were the early, to me, the really early community art projects. You know, Bob, I was uh, working at Tuminello's in the early 80s. I wonder if we ever crossed paths during that time. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we probably did. I'm sure we probably did. I was, uh, yeah. I, uh, so I lived in Jackson for uh, a of my life. I was uh, editor of the Mississippi Business Journal for a while. Oh, oh wow. yeah, right, right. Sure, sure, yeah. I remember that. And okay. Then you went to Vicksburg, right? Yeah, I was I was in Vicksburg first, went to Ole Miss, uh, found someone to marry who would agree to live with me, 
and then I moved to Jackson <laughs> and, uh, and worked uh, with Kevin and Rosalie at the Mississippi Business Journal. They had just uh, started that after they had run uh, their Catfish magazine that they had for a while. Which Mike and, and was that the one a- Mike McCall ran? Yeah, yeah. The Catfish Journal. Catfish oh, Journal. So, yeah. Bob, you were also a youth minister at, at youth minister at Northminster. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't go as far as minister. They didn't pay me for it, but I. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I worked. I worked with the youth uh, there for several years, and it was probably uh, one of the more meaningful experiences of my life. Uh, working at that time, I was in my thirties, and those kids were. 12, 17, and right now they're all grown up and doctors and everything is just stunning to see. And a number well, of them. Well, I, w- I was appreciative that one of your uh, your former youth group member- members, Megan Sons Clapton, actually invited you to be a member of the group, and and we thank her because your your food and your post are really inspirational to people. And I just I hope you keep cooking. Oh, I sure will, and uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Man, we appreciate you calling, Bob, and we certainly appreciate your engaging with us on cooking and coping, and uh, we look forward to hopefully running into you someday, either up in Charlottesville or down here in old Mississippi. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Uh, before we get off of this segment, I wanted to just touch base briefly on the old congressional cookbook, Carol. It was uh, one that I got in 1971 while working in Washington, D.C. with Senator John C. Stennis. And, uh, you know, one of the most famous things in the cookbook uh, is always in there, and that is the navy bean soup, which is uh, kind of what the, uh, the House uh, restaurant in the uh, now Cannon Building, the, where the House of Representatives are office. In their restaurant, they have the navy bean soup, and it's sort of a staple there. And so it it occurs always in the front uh, of the cookbook. But then there are, as you say, the wives uh, of congressional members. Uh, I don't know that now any men participate. Spouses. They say spouses. But it's as you said, it's you know, Misra's. Uh, uh, Teddy Kennedy and Misra's, uh, uh, you know, uh, John C. Stennis. And I haven't seen one lately. Again, mine's from 1971, so I don't know how they list it now. Surely there are more well, uh, mine is contemporary from 19, than that. 1992, no, and it is still Mrs. Fred Swingle, Mrs. Carlos Moorhead. Hmm. It's, hmm. Well, oh, let me run down this. They have, their, they have their signatures, and that that gives their their yeah real name. They were doing that also. So, so just quickly, the recipe for the famous uh, navy bean soup is two pounds of number one white Michigan beans. Cover with cold be water. Michigan. That's right. <laughs> Cover with cold water and soak overnight. Drain and recover with water. Add a smoked ham hock and simmer slowly for about four hours until beans are cooked tenderly. Then add salt and pepper to taste. Here's the key. Just before serving, bruise the beans with a large spoon or ladle enough to cloud. And that is all there is to the navy bean soup recipe. I look forward to bruising the beans. That sounds like bruising a, a, a lot of fun. And for our listeners, the Congressional Cookbook, it's actually the Congressional Club Cookbook, 
is about a thousand pages and it looks like a giant edition of the Bible with a leather covering and you know gold foil printing on the outside it, it's uh, quite a significant book and it's been published since 1927 uh, it's in the 14th edition well that's the edition I have in 2005 uh, yeah, yours is a, a, a newer edition than mine. Mine's a 1971 edition. Of course it is. Before Java was born. All right, we're going to take a little break, come back and continue talking about community cookbooks. If you have a favorite you want to share, or if you just have a question for Carol or myself, or you want to make a comment about food, about food traditions, food ways, recipes, we'd be glad to hear from you at one 672 7464. You can always shoot us an email at food at mpbonline.org. But either way, we will be back in a very few minutes for Deep South Dining. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. You're listening to Deep South Dining. Monday morning. I'm Malcolm White. I'm here with Carol Puckett, and we are glad you have tuned in. Today, we're talking about community cookbooks, that great community art project that uh, many communities, churches, schools, junior leagues, uh, even the congressional delegation in Washington, D.C. has their own cookbook. Carol, what are some of the most unusual community cookbooks you've come across in your research? I know you've been digging through a lot. I have been digging through uh, through a lot, and one of the things that really interests me is the whole proliferation of Delta cookbooks during the um, the 60s and 70s. And w- within this one small plot of land, like from Marx down to you know Belzona, there were six or seven cookbooks that. Uh, that people still love and swear by, and we got a lot of testimonials for them. And uh, pick of the crop, gourmet of the Delta, our Delta dining, the Inverness cookbook, and uh, you know bio cuisine that uh, our caller Ann Shackelford mentioned. But you know that's a lot of work by uh, you know, a relatively small group group of women and the and the books were strong enough that they had several several editions but I love to go back and read them from that time because it was when people were first getting interested in ethnic food uh-huh. right, and, right. and and that meant water chestnuts that was the most exotic <laughs> it was when water chestnuts were big and uh, chow mein noodles oh yeah and and uh Cream of mushroom soup. There's a lot of cream of mushroom soup. I know that uh, Andy Frame thought the Gelatin Lobby sponsored that was sideboards, but uh-huh. the, the Campbell soup people were not far behind. And uh, 
the Inverness cookbook actually was the first of the Delta cookbooks. It was 1963. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, casseroles and a lot of dips also yeah lots and lots of dips lots and lots of of cheese balls several people mentioned cheese balls i think a pineapple cheese ball i can't remember which uh cookbook was but they're they're famous recipes now that have been um been passed down and and one of the cookbooks we haven't touched on yet one of the real giants is cotton country uh, cotton Country Collection from Monroe, you know, is really it. It's kind of like it in River Roads and mm-hmm. Southern Sideboards and Come On In in our area of the country are the big heavy hitters. And right. I cannot tell you how many people wrote in with their favorite uh, Cotton Country recipes and is that the you know, one what, that we heard from our buddy brooks hammaker on we we did and it's really interesting you know because i have to say that probably six or seven people mentioned the uh, sweet potato casserole out of cotton country is the one that's their go-to and it, it's also uh my go-to but we got on the on the facebook page a note from brooks hammaker who i believe he's in durham north carolina now yeah, a good friend of both of us. I hadn't seen him in a long time, but he related a great story. He was in Dublin, Ireland, and saw a copy of Cotton Country in a bookstore. And the clerk noticed him looking at it and asked in her Irish accent if I liked Southern-style food. And, yeah, he said he did, and then... He showed her his passport and then turned to the page of his grandmother's recipes <laughs> and said, yes, this is how much I, I like Southern food. And um, he showed her the, the famous, it was his grandmother's sweet potato recipe. And she had actually made it. Um, I think she the woman, the woman re- in Dublin had made it. Yeah. And, uh, and she was familiar with his grandmother's lemon bar cake. I haven't, I haven't made that, but oh, who okay. knew that Brooks's grandmother is the famous sweet potato casserole? And see, we just thought Brooks was famous because he was the first uh, brewmeister at Abita Brewery, and he helped us open our brewery at Hallam House many years ago. And he's legendary in the brewery community. Well, All right, let's go to the phone. The cooking community too. Let's go to the phone. Edgar from Jackson is on the phone. What's up, Edgar? Good morning. How's this morning? Oh, we're good. We're How about good. you? Well, look, I uh, first of all, before I uh, mention the cookbook, I just want to say how I was to hear Ann Shackleford's voice. I hadn't heard her voice in a long time. We're bringing people together here, Dr. Smith, bringing people together. How about Even it? from across the river in Arkansas. How about that? It was good to hear her voice, but I actually want to, to uh, uh, bring to your attention a less well-known cookbook, but one that's been very important in my life, and that's a fundraising cookbook that's been produced since 1968 by the Tougaloo Community Alumni Chapter as a fundraiser. And it has, a, it, it has uh, recipes from Tougaloo alumni in it, and it not only uh, is it a recipe book, but it also 
has great nutritional information and so forth. But it's just, an, to me, it's an example of how community um, cookbooks can be used as fundraisers. Yeah, and what's the well, name of it, Edgar? It's called the Eagle Queen's Favorites. Okay, well, you have to make sure that Malcolm and I can get uh, a copy of that. I hope it's still in print. Well, let me but tell you, we're about, we about to do the fourth edition. Now, as, as soon as that comes out, i make sure that you get one. But we are, And Inez and I both have uh, recipes in the third edition. Oh, great. Well, What's I, your... I know this is, a, this is a great, it has to be a great cookbook because... Tougaloo alums are great cooks. They're all over the country. And go ahead, Malcolm. What is your favorite recipe? Yeah, what Edgar, what's your recipe? I want to know what Edgar's recipe is. My recipe is, is a sardine omelet. Oh, wow. We'll have to dig into that later on. A sardine omelet. Thanks a lot to everyone for joining us today on Deep South Dining. We are a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Stink Radio. We're funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. We are produced by Java Tap and Carol Puckett and I and all of our guests today. We are so pleased that you joined us. Please stay tuned. For now, you're talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11 o'clock. And next Monday, we'll be right here at 9 o'clock for Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio.